you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Thankful for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the opportunity to honor you with our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to lift you up. May you be glorified this day as our Father in heaven who is good. And now, Lord, as we get into your word, we ask that you would open up our understanding, that you would open up our comprehension, that we might walk and live in your word, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, Today I want to share a message, nothing spectacular or deep, but I want to share a message called the sacrificial life, because I, I feel like when we talk about being a father, being a parent, And the essence of Christianity itself, this is the definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ. The sacrificial life. And I want to say also, thanks to all the guys. How many went out Wednesday night? About ten folks showed up and cut grass. And we had more on the grounds, too. Okay. So, thank you for everybody who showed up Wednesday and helped out. I think it's an awesome opportunity for us to show the neighborhood how much we love them and how much we care about them in Jesus' name. Uh, I saw a picture. You were out there, weren't you, Dad? That looked like you with your red hat on. That was Dad. That's right. My 85-year-old dad was out there cutting grass, or weed-eating at least. I saw him. Um, yeah, that's right. He's a, got a powerful weed-eater. Amen. All right, happy Father's Day. I wanted to share some quotes with you. Some of them are funny. Some of them are serious. Conan O'Brien said, I just taught my kids about taxes by eating 38% of their ice cream. Come on now. <laughs> Those of you in a higher tax bracket, you can eat half of it. God bless you. By the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong. Jim Gaffigan said, there should be a children's song. If you're happy and you know it, keep it to yourself and let your dad sleep. (laughs) If you're happy and you know it, shut your mouth. The older I get, the smarter my father seems to get. Tim Russert said that. Frank Clark said, a father is a man who expects his son to be as good a man as he meant to be. Come on now. Uh, right? Yeah, you're always telling your kids, I don't want you to end up like me. <laughs> Jim Valvano said, My father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. Linda Poindexter said, When my father didn't have my hand, he had my back. And this one's probably my favorite. My father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. This goes out to all the dads who are in the mix. Uh, I need to announce that having a child doesn't make you a father. Um, 
being a father is a commitment. It's, it's, it is, um, yes, it's a joy, it's, it's, um, it's fulfilling, it's, it's all of those things, but at the end of the day, it is a commitment that you make to another person. A commitment to be there, to be present, to be a protector, to be a provider, to be a man. And I know in the day and age that we live in, it's hard to even use the phrase, be a man, any longer. But I believe that we've been called to be men. Our society is plagued with the results of fatherless homes. Every sociological study over the last hundred years have shown that the lack of fathers not only affects the home, but it literally affects the neighborhood that families are in. The neighborhoods are actually affected by the lack of fathers actively involved in those neighborhoods. And so in a world where deadbeat dads are a dime a dozen, we need more fathers who will step up and be the man that they were meant to be. Be the people that you were meant to be. And I'm grateful for a godly dad. I'm, gra- I'm grateful for a dad who's still in the mix. A dad who has lived a life not only worth admiring, but worth emulating. And I know that my dad has also been a spiritual father to a lot of people. And so the, the honor of, of being called the son of Frank Thomas is an honor that we don't, I don't take lightly. And so today I honor my dad. And I honor Living Faith Church and what happened because of his vision and his heart and his desire to reach the Upper Canal Valley for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are saved, some of you are redeemed, some of you are healed because of a man's obedience to the word of God to follow after the calling of God upon his life. And so I honor my dad today. Amen. And some of you may not have a dad like this, or maybe didn't have a dad like this, and I doubt that you do anyway. (laughs) I know your dad's trying. For whatever reason, you may have had a dad that's missing from your life, or missing influencing your life or even being part of your life or maybe your father or your dad has gone on to heaven. That's our prayer. Um, but every one of us here today, no matter what your background is, because I, I make no bones about the fact that I recognize that a lot of the mess uh, that our generation finds itself in is because of the lack of godly fathers and mothers. Parents who, who recognize that their greatest calling, uh, their greatest reason, for their greatest purpose is to pour and invest into the lives of their children. You know, I, you, you, you don't really recognize and realize how much your life changes until you, you physically hold the child. And then you watch the ta- child grow up. You know, I, I used to fish. Um, and... Uh, you know, I don't do that much anymore uh, because we spend a lot of time at baseball fields and soccer fields and basketball courts watching our kids do what they love to do and, and standing over on the side and screaming and yelling and worrying and praying and all of the things that you do as a sports parent. Those of you who are sports parents, you, you know what it means to be on the verge of a heart attack. For an entire game, you know. You know what it's like to be on the verge of, of, of looking out there and, and wanting to go out and, and help your kid or 
punch the other child that, that won't let go of your child. Or put the, the ref or the umpire in a stranglehold or, or a headlock or whatever. You know, and you look, you, look at those, you look at those times and you recognize that as much as your life feels like a whirlwind of, of, of going here and there and doing other things, we, we recognize that every one of us, no matter, no matter where we come from, no matter, whether, whether our background was when we played baseball or basketball, we looked up in the stands and we saw our dad. Some of you didn't have that. You didn't look up and see your dad. You didn't look up and see your mom. Maybe you looked up and saw your grandparents. Maybe you looked up and saw a friend, a family member. But no matter where it is, we can all look back over our life, and I can, work, I can thank God and, 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 and praise God for, for who I am and what I have become because of godly parents in my life. Some of you have had to overcome the obstacle of not having that in your life, of having that investment in your life, of having that love, that belief, that encouragement, that investment that made something in you. But that doesn't mean that we can't take the responsibility of who we are and become whom our Heavenly Father created us to be. You know, at the end of the day, all of us will stand before God. We will all stand before God in judgment of who we are and what we have become and what we have done. And we can't stand before God one day and say, well, I didn't have a godly influence in my life. I didn't. I blame it on my parents, or I, I blame it on a neighbor, or I blame it on hard times in my life of how I got where I came to. But at the end of the day, every one of us is responsible for who we are becoming. Every man in this room and everyone that is listening to this sermon that has a child can make the decision today to be a godly father because there is no greater gift that you can give to a child. When do you start? Now. You can't go back and change what you may or may not have done, dads. There are always things that we could have done better. Words that we could have put better. Actions that we could have done better. Actions that we shouldn't have done at all. There's always mistakes, failures, mishaps along the way. Sin that we have committed. But when do we start? We start now. There's no greater gift that we can give to a child. And so when I think of what it means to be a parent, I think of the word sacrifice. A sacrifice is a very powerful word. Most of the time, if we think about the word sacrifice, it's easy for us to immediately think about those in the military who have made sacrifices, men and women who have put their lives on the line simply for the love of country as well as, honestly, protecting uh, their families and generations to follow. You know, when I look back at what's known as the greatest generation, the generation that came through World War II that laid their lives on the line for democracy and freedom in the United States, and I look at the life that I have lived that honestly is a result of sacrifices that were made by men and women that didn't even know me, that didn't even know that I didn't even exist when they made these sacrifices... And then I, I, I look at what a lot of people describe as courage nowadays and I shake my head. I wonder if they even understand what it means. We see this as the picture of sacrifice, to live and to die for others, for something bigger than yourself, to live courageously in the face of danger, for the love of something other than self. 
And this goes against the grain of the current thought that defines courage. Which honestly, a lot of people say you're courageous if you're being your true self. In all reality, we've, def- we've redefined courage to be something that's self-absorbed. Basing courage on self-identification. As if courage is really defined by self-focus. But a, self, a sacrificial life will always be selfless and it will always take courage. A sacrificial life is by definition not self-focused, but others-focused. And the gospel, I want to announce to you today, identifies us through the blood of the cross. He identifies us through the grace of God. He does not identify us from our background or how we identify gender-wise or how we identify in our nationality or how we identify in, in where we've come from. We are identified by the grace and the mercy and the blood of the cross. We all stand before God as children redeemed by His blood. The origin of the word sacrifice comes from two Latin words. I'm not going to attempt to say these Latin words because I don't know how. The first one is spelled S-A-C-E-R, and it means to set aside or holy. The second word is F-A-C-E-R-E, which means to make or do. So sacrifice, the word sacrifice itself has religious origins, and it basically means to do or take something we have made and set it aside as holy to God. Sacrifice is to take something that we have or do or have made or created and set it aside as holy to God. Noah Webster defines sacrifice as to devote as loss. To devote something as loss. Now, that has so many biblical connotations as we look at it. What did Jesus say? If you want to have life, what do you got to do? You got to lose it. You got to devote your life to loss if you want to find true life. The Old Testament saw sacrifices that were associated with death. A loss of life for the giving of life. We devote our lives to God because as we lose it, we find it. As we deny ourselves, as we take up our cross and follow Him, we find what we were truly meant to be. There's a paradox. There's, there, there's a, a, um, an, a, a, when we look at the kingdom, it seems many times upside down. If you want to save your life, then lose it. If you, if you want to be exalted, then you must humble yourself. If you want to receive, then you have to give. By definition, then, a sacrifice costs us something. A sacrifice costs us something. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, David is about to offer a sacrifice because there's a plague. And he's giving a specific sacrifice in a specific place on a threshing floor. And as he goes to make this sacrifice, the man offers him the threshing floor for free. You can have it. It's yours. Make your sacrifice. And David makes a very, very powerful statement. He says, I will not offer my God anything that costs me nothing. In other words, I'm not taking your free floor. I will pay for it because every sacrifice 
costs me something. This is the essence of sacrifice. This is the heart of the sacrificial life. It costs me something. And the greatest example, obviously, of sacrifice is the death of Jesus Christ. The cross is the beauty of sacrifice, the holy for the unholy, the godly for the ungodly, the innocent for the guilty, God in human flesh to die for the ones who hated him the most. What a sacrifice that he made his way to the cross to pay a price he did not owe that we might receive a grace that we did not deserve. But it's not just his death that shows us what sacrifice means. It's easy for us to look at the cross and see the Son of God who laid his life down to pay the price and the cost and the penalty for our sin. But it's not just his death, it is his life. In this passage, we see Jesus addressing a request from James and John to sit beside him in glory. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, can we ask, when you are glorified, can we sit on one of us on the left and one of us on the right? I mean, what a... What an arrogant request, isn't it? I mean, it's not enough to be in glory. I want to sit down beside you and point at all the peons. I don't know how Jesus didn't just turn around and say, with that attitude, you're going to be sitting on the left and right-hand side of the devil. After explaining to them that you don't even know what you're asking, you've got to drink the cup that I'm about to drink of. You're going to have to understand what it means to suffer. You're going to have to understand what it means to go through what I'm going through. Are you ready to drink that cup? They're like, oh, yeah, well, we're ready. Until the Garden of Gethsemane, and they all ran off and hid. Jesus is like, I need somebody on the right and left, James and John. Where'd you go? We'll be with you in glory. <laughs> Huh? Y'all know anybody like that? They'll be with you until times get tough. And then they show up, it's like winning the lottery. Some of y'all got friends you didn't even know you had. Family members that you didn't even know existed. So here they come, they request this, they didn't understand it. But he teaches them a powerful principle of a sacrificial life. It's literally... The essence, the essence of all kingdom teaching that Jesus does. To be great, you must be a servant. To be first, you must be a slave. Not just in religious action, right? Not just going through deeds. Not just showing how, look how humble I am. Right? I've always wondered how the book of Genesis says that Moses was the meekest man on earth. Wasn't Genesis written by Moses? By the way, I'm the humblest guy around. <laughs> Shouldn't joke about that. It was probably added by a scribe. I understand, Moses. See you in glory. Um, but it's not just in religious action, but it's in the attitude of the heart. See, humility is, humility is not even something you know that you have. If you're talking about your humility... You don't have it. <laughs> right? If you're pointing out how humble I am, you're not. Right? And so humility is a character trait that is, that is 
should be a part of the attitude of how you see life, of how you work, of how you treat people, of how you respond. It's an attitude of the heart. Here's Jesus himself, the king of glory, God in the flesh. He says, I didn't come to to be served, but to serve and to give my life, a sacrificial life, to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus said, it's not just my death that I'll show you what a sacrifice looks like. I'm going to show you what a sacrifice looks like by the life I live. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to put others first. Man, God in human flesh came for me. Our salvation cost him something. And this is the essence of sacrifice. The whole of Christian life is to be defined by this kingdom principle, the sacrificial life. And when I think of the word sacrifice, I can't help but think of what it means to be a parent. Here on Father's Day, we think about what it means to sacrifice our lives for someone other than ourselves. Romans tells us that we are called to be living sacrifices, that this is our reasonable service. This is our reasonable act of worship. It's reasonable for us in the face, in the reality of the cross In the reality of grace, in the reality that we have been redeemed and saved by the sacrifice of God himself, it is reasonable for us to now live our lives as living sacrifices. That each day is a sacrifice given to God. That each day is a sacrifice of our lives being poured out in praise, in service, in giving, in loving, in putting others first. This is the mark of a true believer. This is the mark of the assembly of God's people. It should be seen beautifully in the congregation of His church. A sanctuary full of people who live sacrificial lives. That should be the definition of what a church looks like. That we, an entire congregation of people who are living sacrificially, who are living for others, who care about someone other than themselves. It's easy for us many times, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not against uh, receiving from the Lord personally uh, during church and during our service. We should all come with an attitude of faith to receive from the Lord. But we should also always come with an attitude of what can I do to help? What can I do to give? What can I do to serve? What can I do to love you? What can I do to pray for you? What can I do to be there for you? Do you understand what would happen in a sanctuary like that? Do you understand what would happen? Are people throwing shoes at me now? i got shoes flying at me. Do you understand what will happen if each one of us would determine that I'm going to live my life in a loving, giving, serving attitude? Jesus turned the whole world upside down, not by riding in on a horse and carrying a sword, although he will do that one of these days. He turned the entire world upside down by serving by washing the feet of dirty disciples, by touching lepers, by reaching out to the blind and the broken, the poor and the forgotten, 
by loving those who were outcasts, by allowing a woman who had had seven demons cast out of her to be literally a disciple of Jesus. This is the essence of sacrifice. And it should be the deepest expression in the home. It is, a, it, it is within the marriage relationship that we should see the greatest examples of the sacrificial life. Of a life in which you put someone other than yourself first. The needs of someone else first. Thinking about someone else first. This is most beautifully expressed within the marriage relationship. And then by extension, it should be the motivation of what it means to be godly parents. A godly father and mother make the sacrifice to make sure that their children are provided for, protected, loved, that they are believed in. It's always them before us. It's always them before us. It's no longer me that I'm living for. The decisions I make, the words that I speak, the actions I take, the attitude that I carry around, all affect the atmosphere of my home. Whether it's with my spouse, whether it's with my children, the sacrificial life always remembers that it's not just about me. It's not just about me and what I want and what I need and what I have to have. And the same goes for our own congregation. The sacrificial life bleeds through every part of our lives. As we individually give our lives to God, the Bible tells me that I am supposed to present my body unto God, a living sacrifice. In other words, who I am and what I do and, and the actions that I take and the attitudes that I carry and the words that I speak, I have first dedicated to God. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Everything that I have, I have given to him. And then out of this sacrifice, he anoints me and graces me to be the man that I've been called to be. And how I respond to my spouse and how I respond to my children and how do I respond to the, to the family of God. How I respond at church and how I respond to the world is all affected by this initial sacrificial giving of my life to God. Of saying, Lord, I understand it costs me something. I understand that it's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me giving love when I don't want to. It's going to take me recognizing that every opportunity that has been given me now belongs to God. Now belongs to Him. And as I do that, then it affects my family. And then it affects my congregation. Because when we do things like this, we all have this opportunity. We all have the opportunity to either add to or take away from the atmosphere of this church. Some of you guys, you were here last Sunday, and I wasn't here. I was hot, but it was because I was on the beach. But y'all were here and you were hot. The air condition wasn't work, working. The atmosphere was different. The atmosphere was different. I bet. Some of you probably were dozing off like you are now. I won't point you out. You were dozing off, right? 
It's warm in here. Right? The atmosphere was affected by the lack of air conditioning. How many of you, come on, I know all of y'all love Jesus and you're all holy, but how many of you worship better when it's cooler? Yeah, it's too hot to worship. It's too hot. Remember when Eddie George was here and it was like 5,000 people in this building and it was 672 degrees in here? We still worship, though, because he made us. But every one of us have the opportunity to affect the atmosphere of this sanctuary. You may not believe it, but you do. Come on, some of y'all, you know people. You know people that add to your life. And you know people that try, are consistently trying to take away from it. You know the people that believe in you, that encourage you, that strengthen you. And you know the ones that are trying to tear you down. The ones that are toxic. We need each other. And I want you to hear this. A congregation of people living sacrificial lives is a recipe for revival. We pray a lot, God move, God show up, God do these things, God knock someone down, God make me shake and shiver. Because we see that as revival, right? God, we want to have a seven day in a row meeting and at the end of seven days we want it to go on because we got revival. <laughs> I, honestly, I've always, I've always had a little bit of an issue of, of scheduled revivals. I don't know. This has always bothered me. It's like we're not in revival until you stick a sign out. Revival. Woo! I didn't even know I was in revival until I saw the sign. Woo! <laughs> Lord, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for I want to feel something. I want, I want to feel something. I want you to anoint me with oil. I want you to pray over me. I want to run da shanda. I want to run through the sanctuary. I want to hang from the chandeliers. That's revival. You know what revival is? It was when everybody decides to live a sacrificial life given to God and to one another. That's when revival takes place. When you have a congregation of people who show up with a desire to sacrifice worship and praise unto God and sacrifice by giving to each other in love and grace and forgiveness and goodness and service, that's revival. You want to see your community impacted? You want to see your family impacted? Live a sacrificial life. Some of us need to quit preaching sermons and start living them. Some of us are preaching at our spouses and preaching at our children, but we're not living what we're preaching. As a father, I want to live a sacrificial life for my kids. I, I, I want to live... Uh, a sacrificial life for God, devoted to God, for myself, for my wife, and for my church, but also for the eternal realities that are being planted in the lives of my children. It's not just about me. It's not just my decisions any longer. It's not just my obedience or disobedience, my worship or, or my service. It's whom I am affecting. That when I recognize that I am putting someone other... I don't have time for a midlife crisis. I don't have time for being angry with my kids because I want to go back and relive my younger days. Too late! 
You have other responsibilities. But, and, and that is the lie of the enemy, that you always go backwards. See, the lie of the enemy is always go backwards. Always go back, relive the younger day. Oh, what you missed out on because of your rugrats. Go back and live. That's always the lie of the enemy, is to go backwards. And so I ask you the question that I asked you the last time I preached. What do they see? What do your children see? What kind of life are we reflecting for them? What example are we setting? Do they see a life of sacrifice to God? Do they see a life of sacrifice for them? Our obedience to God affects us, and it affects them. Our trust in God affects us, and it affects them. Sacrifice will always cost us something. It's always about someone else, but it is the way to life for ourselves and for them. On Father's Day, I honor all the dads that have lived sacrificial lives for their families. I'm not about making family an idol, because you can do that. And that's why our sacrifice must begin first with God. We have to recognize that truth has to be lived in our home, as well as in the church, as well as in the world around us. I'm not about making your spouse an idol or your children an idol, because a lot of people will do that. Our connection to God and our sacrifice to Him is what affects the generation after us. And so today I honor all godly dads that have lived a sacrificial life dedicated to God. And I honor all of you who today will decide to start doing that. And it doesn't matter how old your children are. It doesn't matter how old or how long you've been married or how old you are, it doesn't matter. Today is a day to start living a life dedicated to God. Because this is not just our calling on Father's Day. It's our calling every day. It is the essence of what it means to be a Christian, to live a sacrificial life knowing that it all belongs to God anyway. It all belongs to God anyway, including your spouse, including your children, including your family, including your money, including your possessions, including your dreams. Everything belongs to Him. May our lives be a sacrificial life dedicated to Christ. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that today we can celebrate a God who sacrificed for us, who loved us so much, that he took upon himself the brutality of an ugly cross that we might be redeemed, that we might know true love and experience true love. Today, Lord, we are grateful for a father, a father who loves us, a father who wants the best for us, a father who made the ultimate sacrifice by sending his son to this earth to redeem us and set us free. Lord, today, may we be examples of that sacrifice. May we be examples of those who are dedicated and committed to you 
in a sacrificial life in Jesus' name. As we keep our head bowed and our eyes closed here this morning, I, I would ask, we're going to sing a worship song here in just a moment. I would ask today if you would, first of all, consider your eternity. Dads, grandfathers, the greatest gift you could give to your family here today is a life lived for Jesus, a godly life committed to Him. And maybe you're in this room today, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've been distracted. Maybe at one time you had a relationship with God, but today you have walked away, and you know you're not right with God. Today your Heavenly Father reaches to you. Let His grace find you where you are. Let His conviction open your eyes and your heart. This is not just a today thing. This is an eternal thing that we are talking about. Do you know Him? And does He know you? May His grace capture you today. I'm asking you, would you say yes to that grace? We're going to open this altar in just a moment. If you need to give your life to Christ, please don't leave this building today saying no to the offer of the love of Jesus. Let Jesus reach into your heart and touch you. If you're in this room today and maybe you feel broken, lost, hurting, today is the day for a father to love you and put you back together. If you're in this room today and maybe you feel like your family's falling apart, today is a day to commit and dedicate yourself and your family to Jesus. If you need a healing in your body, a restoration in your mind, you want to be filled with the Spirit, I want to pray with you today if you feel led or convicted by the Spirit, come in the name of Jesus. Don't allow your brokenness or your hurt, don't let the disarray or the chaos of your home keep you from being who God has called you to be. Come in the name of Jesus.